Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 11, Psalm 119, verses 33 through 48, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, and Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Once upon a time, there was a monk who was on a long journey by foot. One evening, he reached the edge of a village and sat down under a tree to cook his dinner. Before his dinner was ready, a villager came running out and shouted to him, Stone, stone, give me the stone. Taken aback, the monk asked him, What stone? The villager standing before the monk was obviously very poor. He said, Last night, God told me in a dream that if I go to the edge of the village in the evening, a monk will give me a stone that will make me rich forever. The monk rummaged through his cloth sack and took out a stone. That's probably what he meant. I found it in the woods yesterday. Okay, take it if you want. The poor villager couldn't believe his eyes. It was the largest diamond he had ever seen. He could barely hold it in one hand. In his delight, he gave a shout and ran back home. But he couldn't sleep that night. Early the next morning, he woke the monk and said to him, I changed my mind. Keep the stone. Instead, please give me that wealth that allowed you to so easily give up the diamond. The villager in that story got what he wanted, though in an unexpected way. We tend to focus a lot in church on the concepts of sin and holiness and grace, and we're not wrong to do that, especially in today's society where those are completely alien categories. However, we tend to overlook another vital concept that we find throughout the Bible, wisdom. The entire book of Proverbs is dedicated to wisdom, and wisdom literature is a separate genre we find scattered throughout the Bible. Our gospel lesson today in Matthew 18 has a lot to say about where to find divine wisdom, though it's rather buried in the text. So get out your shovels and let's dig to find the buried diamond of divine wisdom. Before we see what this text has to say about divine wisdom, we first need to agree that these six verses, which seem to be on very different topics, actually share a connective tissue, though it may be under the surface. These verses cover the topics of church discipline, divine authority granted to the church, and communal prayer. Even though each of these topics is different, they all build on each other. The church discipline of verses 15 through 17 is a specific example of binding, the binding and loosing authority given in verse 18. Another way to look at it is the authority to bind and loose covers the authority to hold congregants accountable. This makes more sense when we understand that the Greek relative pronoun hosa can mean whatever, like in our RSV, but it can also mean whoever or how many. If we read verse 18 as, how many you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, it more easily fits the context of restoring sinners in the congregation because it more directly refers to people. And then verse 19 is simply an expansion on verse 18, 
where the authority to bind and loose is just a piece of the larger promise that God will answer the requests of the church with the added requirement that we ask of God. In other words, verse 18, in verse 18, the church has the authority to act where it can, but where it can't, God promises to help in verse 19. Finally, verse 20 adds the promise of God's presence in all previous situations because they all apply to the corporate body rather than individuals. At the same time, the last verse adds the caveat of being gathered in Christ's name, which is not easy to define. Before we explore what we can learn from these verses about divine wisdom, we first need to understand what divine wisdom is. Notice I'm not saying it's wisdom alone. It's divine wisdom, which for our purposes today, I need to break into two essential parts. First is, well, the divine. That's the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised his disciples before he ascended that he was sending a helper, and we witnessed that happen at Pentecost. The guidance of the Holy Spirit is perfect. It's flawless. That gets us to the other piece of divine wisdom, which is human discernment. Even among the saints, human discernment is far from perfect, even when we try our best and have pure motives. That's why divine wisdom is self-aware. That means divine wisdom is always hand-in-hand hand with humility. It trusts in the promises of God, but doesn't trust in our own ability to understand and apply them perfectly. Divine wisdom asks of God, never demands. Lastly, divine wisdom is always in alignment with truth. There is no way it could be otherwise. Now that we have seen that these verses are all thematically connected and understand more about divine wisdom, what does this passage tell us about where to find divine wisdom? I'm glad you asked. There are two main points we find in the text about divine wisdom. The first is that it is generally found in community. The second is that it is always found in the presence of God. The role of community is the single most obvious theme of these verses. Verse 16 says, to take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Clearly, Jesus believed that two or three were more likely to get it right than one person alone. There is wisdom to be found in community. Of course, verse 17 says that if the previous efforts fail, tell it to the church. That is an even greater community. In verse 18, Jesus grants the authority to bind and loose, not to individuals, but to the church as a whole. Unlike two chapters ago, where he gave this authority to Peter, now the you is plural both times. Whatever y'all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever y'all loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Individuals don't have that authority in part because they lack the wisdom to use it properly. I could easily fill an entire sermon on an exposition of verse 18, but we need to continue with divine wisdom in the next text, 
But first, there are two points that I want to make to help explain what Jesus is promising here. The authority to bind and loose is both factual and aspirational. It's factual and uh, sorry. In the factual, it is factual in that, the, as an example, the church define, decides to send missionaries to certain places, but not others. In doing so, are we not deciding who gets to hear the gospel, and thereby who has a chance at salvation? Or strictly in the context of church discipline, if the leaders of the church decide not to confront someone in the congregation who has wronged another, then by their inaction, they are likely hurting the souls of the injured party as well as the offender who hasn't been given the opportunity to repent and grow spiritually. This is the factual piece of the authority to bind and loose. The aspirational is that in binding and loosing, it also occurs in eternity, which assumes that it is done in perfect alignment with God's will. This is similar to the many promises Yahweh made to the Israelites in the early days of their nationhood that were not fully realized due to the lack of faith and obedience among the people. The promise stands, though it may never be fulfilled on our end. Back to divine wisdom in our text, we see in verse 19 the promise of requests being answered by God, but only if two of you agree. Lastly, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. All these verses require the community working together. There's a lot one can say about the benefits of community. Belonging, safety, specialization of tasks, etc. But today's passage focuses on one aspect of community, that divine wisdom is more likely to be found there than alone. The requirement that two or more must agree on their request indicates a shared vision for what is good, which is more likely to be wise than foolish. As I've already mentioned, verse 16 also directly emphasizes the wisdom of community. So while there is plenty one can say about the benefits of community, this passage is clearly focusing on the wisdom to be found within community. We have the advantage today of having the most expansive community available that the world has ever seen. We have all the knowledge of the church fathers down through the time of the reformers to the many, many Christian teachers today. Our community of believers isn't limited to the saints that you see in this room. Every Christian alive today and those who have ever published anything or recorded a sermon have added their voice to the community of saints and our shared wisdom. This can be a huge help to those who avail themselves of these many resources offering divine wisdom. As I said earlier, divine wisdom is generally found in community, but not always. We can all think of examples of foolish communities, sometimes even foolish congregations or entire denominations, despite what we can only assume is their earnestness in seeking God. So the agreement of the community is not a guarantee of divine wisdom, 
but it is a step in the right direction. The other place to find divine wisdom is in the presence of God. Verse 20 says that Jesus will be present in any communal gathering in his name. That means in each of the other scenarios we just talked about, where there was divine wisdom in community, the presence of God was also there. While it should seem obvious that there is wisdom to be found in God's presence, this text provides specific evidence. Where? It's quite simple, really. If you pray in accord with God's will, how do you think that prayer will be answered? Or if you pray against God's will, do you think he will give you what you want? Of course not. It doesn't matter how many people are praying, if they are praying for something contrary to God's will, he will not grant that request because it wouldn't be for the best. So if two or more believers are in the presence of Jesus and are in agreement when they pray, the text tells us that their prayer will be answered. The unspoken assumption then is that they are praying in accordance with God's will. That's divine wisdom. Alignment with God's will is the very definition of divine wisdom. The presence of Jesus is essential to divine wisdom. But I think I need to reiterate the need for humility. Divine wisdom is inherently humble because the wise know that only God knows all. Our model of divine, divinely wise prayer is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I, what I, as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus prayed for what he wanted, but at the same time, he was willing to bend his will to the Father's. That's a prayer that will always be answered. Now, I know that doesn't sound as good as getting whatever you want from God when two or more agree, but this is how prayer actually gets answered. The humility inherent in divine wisdom is always willing to take a knee to God's will. If children grow more wise from learning from their parents, then how much more do we grow wise from learning from the author of all wisdom? And if we are in God's presence, we cannot help but learn. We saw this in the life of the disciples. We experience it today by being in a morning worship service, reading the Bible, prayer, or any other time we draw near to God. We live in a world today so utterly devoid of wisdom. Even many churches are struggling for lack of wisdom. To listen to the news media sometimes, it almost seems like people are actively working against what is wise. But that shouldn't be surprising, because the enemy wants to thwart wisdom. Divine wisdom is against him as is the brother of wisdom, truth. So while the world is flaunting its foolishness, we need to be agents of divine wisdom. The promise of James 1.5 is still available to us. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproaching, and it will be given to him. While divine wisdom isn't developed overnight, at least we know where to seek it, in the community of believers with the presence of God. That means we know how to get our prayer for wisdom answered. When we grow in wisdom, it benefits not just ourselves, but our families and communities, even if the world doesn't recognize it. The world will always be perfectly happy with just the diamond, but we know that it's of little value in comparison with the eternal riches of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.